to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Get 15% off any DIR 101 course and introduction to DIR and DIR floor time through ICDL.com by using the promo code AFFECTA15, that's A-F-F-E-C-T-A-1-5. Hello, welcome back. I'm Daria Brown, and I have a returning guest, Emil Gauss from South Africa. He is a special educator. He's working on his PhD. He's the vice chairman of the National Executive Committee of Autism of South Africa and represents neurodiversity at the Commonwealth Disabled People's Forum. He is a senior advisor to and on the board of the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, ICDL, the home of DIR Floor Time. And today we're talking about the experience of university students who are different and who learn differently. And Emil is going to explain all about that because it is the topic of his PhD studies. Welcome back, Emil. Thank you, Daria, and it's always a pleasure to speak to you. You too. I, I absolutely have wanted to have more self-advocate voices and um, it, it's a little bit embarrassing that you're the only one so far, but we will get there. Uh, Emil and I will be working together more at ICDL to bring the self-advocate and the parent perspective forward and, and working together as well. So I'm really excited about that, Emil. We are, and like we said, you know, we are breaking ground and it's all about getting that first-hand experiences and getting the community of practice involved because that's what we need. We need more first-hand experiences, but we need to get the experiences of parents as well in so that we initiate change. Let's start from the ground roots and build a way up. Yes, and I know that you are talking today about how much of a challenge it is for children and in this case, young adults who are different in um, what you called an ableist and masculine approach to difference. So anybody who is doesn't fit into the typical environment, students um, who have sensory differences or psychosocial disabilities uh, are somehow not seen as being disabled in the way that physically disabled students are. They have an invisible impairment. And um, I'm so eager to hear what you are delving into in your PhD studies. Thank you. It's quite an interesting approach towards disability and how we analyze society. I want to refer back to society as well as public institutions. And Daria, for most of the 20th, 20th century, universities or even public institutions have distanced themselves from students who behave differently. Students with disabilities are part of the minority and are regarded as separate entities. And as such, we are isolated. You know, as an autistic adult myself, and I think all parents and students with physical disabilities and even students that are different, are basically felt that they were that they were that they were being discriminated against. And as such, the ethos of a public institution, Strasbourg by perfection, 
by setting standards that require these students to meet. And usually these standards stigmatize anything that is seen as a possible difference or even as a weakness. And therefore, difference is placed in negative light. Furthermore, I believe that students with a disability, you know, all students that are regarded in this minority group are victims of discrimination. And I believe that the logistics of this institution employ ableist as well as ableism in its practices. And therefore, this set of assumptions of this institution and root contributes towards disabling the student and promote unequal treatment. Now, Emil, can I ask for listeners who may not be familiar with the term ableism, can I ask you to describe what that is? Of course. Now, I just want to tell you that in my presentation that I'm focusing on multiple lenses. So I'm talking from autistic adults perspective. Now the ableist viewpoint is based on the negative stereotypes and cultural assumptions such as the efficiency and difference. Now this ableist notion considers a corporal standard that resembles perfectionism and therefore a social transform transformation approach is required that will ensure that these individuals are accommodated. You know, and I think in the autism field, Doria, you will know as well, is that there is a negative perception towards students on the autism spectrum. And we, some people will feel that these individuals need to be fixed. And therefore, it is important to know that students with a invisible disability or physical disability feel that public institutions are not inclusive enough as they encounter many concrete barriers when they participate in everyday activities. So it's important to note that the standards of the institution, as well as the people involved, needs to create inclusive environment to make that person feel safe and to ensure that, that they are accommodated on cognitive, emotional, social and physical levels and also by making the reasonable accommodations to ensure that that individual fulfills his full potential. This may or may not be a good example. You can let me know if someone with ADHD, for example, needs extra time to take an exam because of the disabling features of ADHD. An ableist view might say, that's not fair because everybody gets the same amount of time to write this exam. And if you get more time, then you're getting a disadvantage, you're getting an advantage over everybody else. So you have to complete this test in the same amount of time. Whereas a more inclusive approach would be to understand that the person with ADHD's brain processes differently and they, they require that extra amount of time in order to be able to um, you know, complete the exam in the same way that another student would. You know, Daria, uh, it's quite important that you state there, but you know, I want to go back to legislation. You know, I familiar myself with the white paper six, 
And in the white paper six, they refer to reasonable accommodation. And this reasonable accommodation refers necessary to the appropriate modifications, the adjustments, the assistive devices and technology that is used to ensure that that person with that different sort of impairment are accommodated and to ensure that they are accommodated on an equal basis so they can fulfill their full potential. That's the one thing. And then also you need to also need to look at the process of reasonable accommodation. So I refer to it as the three columns. The first column that you will have is your impairment. Now that is a different kinds of impairments that you will have. That refers to your different categories, such as the sensory, the physical, the psychosocial, the intellectual, and the neurological. Then you will look at the second column, which will be the barriers. That will be the physical barriers, the attitudinal barriers, the information barriers, and the communication barriers. Now in this second column, that refers to this type of challenges that, in the, that these individuals will experience. And then the last column will be the reasonable accommodation. How can we accommodate the individual in terms of technology, in terms of assistive devices, adjustments and modifications? Now, referring to your example, you need to look specifically at, at the type of impairment that the individual has. Is it a sensory impairment? Is it a physical? Is it a psychosocial? Is it a neurological? And then, then you refer to the, as soon as you identify, you refer to the second column. What can be used in order to accommodate the individual? What's the barrier? And what, what's the barrier? Let's look, look, look at the second one. What's the barrier? So definitely, you look specifically at, at information as well as a physical barrier. The physical can refer to sensory. It can also refer to a motor challenge, that the, the, the cross motor challenge that the individual has. And then, then the third column, uh, as soon as you identify the barrier or the challenge, you need to look at the reasonable accommodation. What can we do to accommodate the, the individual, the child? And therefore, we can make adjustments such as providing the, the, the student with additional time, or we can make use of a, a speech-to-text function, or we can we, or we can basically um, adjust the paper, or maybe we can maybe adjust the size of uh, make it more visual for the student. So if you can understand the, 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 the different process of reasonable accommodation, I believe that automatically we will create an inclusive and, access and accessible society. And I imagine a huge part of that, which I think is still something that is an issue right now, is how to get that process going. So how does one advocate for themselves and how smooth is that process? Because if you go and you say I need accommodation because of this, this and that, and they're like, oh my goodness, this person's being so difficult and they make the process so hard for the person just to advocate for themselves that they give up because it wasn't worth it and then they might drop out. Whereas if you have something that's very inclusive and welcoming and 
it makes it easy for the person so they don't have to physically walk up a lot of stairs and go to the specific room that has bright lights and talk to a specific person who isn't very pleasant and do all of that and fill out paperwork and all of this versus they can you know email somebody or make a request in in a number of different ways like they that access to be able to get the accommodations they need needs to be welcoming as well and not seen as putting a label on that student like oh there's my student who's causing me all this inconvenience all the other students can do it fine but this student can't that's still how i think some of the population still sees it and you're talking about making it more inclusive which would include understanding that every student has individual differences and we want to make it a welcoming place for everybody and make the process supportive for everybody so that everybody has the same opportunity and i think that you are actually referring to an ideal inclusive society where reasonable accommodations are made and where everyone is accommodated free from any every form of discrimination and victimization in order for us to reach that dream i always refer to four aspects and i think that is where my personal experiences comes in as a student on the autism spectrum in order to accommodate this individual you need to look at four aspects the first aspect is you are is you are referring to universal design now universal design refers to acknowledgement of the different legislations there is in terms of reasonable accommodation and to ensure that these students are accommodated you know uh, the universal design also refers to general accessibility in order to accommodate the different needs and therefore it re refers back to the different types of impairments that we get in terms of physical in terms of sensory as well as the the different challenges that these individuals experience and then you need to look at specifically the next aspect towards it and that is information research that's available in order for us to ensure that reasonable accommodations are made now according to in the field that we are working in referring to the world in the field that we are working in you know you tend to when you google when you google information regarding student experiences at university on the autism spectrum you tend to look at articles from either great britain united states Canada, as well as Switzerland. And although it is quite nice and fantastic to familiarize yourself with this and learn from these experiences, some of them are not relevant from a, from a South African perspective. So therefore, it's always important for us to make sure that the information that we receive is quite relevant and also to identify the gap. So therefore, we need to invest more in, in research on information. Then the third aspect that I want to refer to is on communication. That will be getting the assistance of faculty members as well as the academic staff 
and also the support, the student support team to work together to ensure that the student, the reasonable accommodations are made for that specific student. That's different. Now, referring to autism, to ensure that that student is accommodated on campus, on cognitive, emotional, social, as well as physical level. The third aspect I think that we need to that that we need to identify is referring to the institutional. Now, institutional sounds like institutional, but institution is has got a negative connection. So we do not want to use the word institution because it is referring to the medical model, and we are following a social approach towards disability. So. The social model, as well as institutional, will refer to making sure that that student is accommodated by involving the community of practice, involving training sessions from DPOs, MPOs, self-advocates, parents, to come together in order to educate and to initiate difference. And that is how we can create an accessible society. And if we can get that from the ground level, if we can get that started, Doria, we will have more autistic adults, more students that will succeed at any higher education institution, or even at ground school level, we will have more graduates and we will have more students on the autism spectrum that will make a difference in the field that we're working to eliminate inequality. Now, you mentioned EPOs and MPOs. What are those? Now, DPOs is referring to disabled people's organizations. Oh, okay. Now, that, is, that is your organization that is basically, that's basically advocates for disabled rights. Usually in, in referring to the United Nations um, documentation, as well as the conferences, DPOs are basically uh, self-advocate-led. And MPOs is non-government organizations. And usually in a second world country like South Africa, and I think in the US also, due to the fact that we are not supported by any, by any form of government, NGOs are NGOs and as well as DPOs are working together to initiate change. And and the in the majority in the in the in the field in the field that we are working in, your DPOs and your MPOs are basically your first baseline in which parents and self-advocates need to go in order for them for their voice to get heard. And then from that you know, we can refer back to, to society as well as public institutions. And usually our public institutions are referring to, uh, are referring to DPOs in order to provide training for, for people in the workplace as well as in higher education institutions to accommodate the individual. So it's quite important for them, for, for the DPOs, the community of practice to work together to initiate change. And I'm sorry, I missed what the M is in the MPO. Non-profit. Oh, so it's N, non-PO, profit. profit. Okay, okay. Organizations. 
So Emil, can you tell us a bit about how your personal experience led you into doing this research for your dissertation? We And I will say to uh, listeners and viewers, if they haven't heard our last podcast, we did a podcast about Emil's journey and it was based on his conference presentation at ICDL's DIR Floor Time Conference last November. So I'll put a link to that in the post for today. Um, but I guess this is the journey sort of after the journey you described in that podcast. This is more your um, university journey now that that has led you to this research. Yes, definitely. And I think it's quite important to 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 realize that you know each individual has got the story and you know and that each student that's enrolled or that inspires to study at any form of higher education institution it's a major honor it is something it is something that you desire because you want to improve on your life. You want to show that you're independent. And for me personally, I believe that by attending university, I would be able to get rid of the mis that the misconception that a student with autism might cannot function in society. And a student on the autism spectrum cannot be, be independent. And therefore, for me, I wanted to get rid of that chain, you know, every single day that I had as a student in school. And I wanted to get rid of this ableist approach as well as this masculine approach. I wanted to prove that the student with an invisible impairment can succeed in society. And that was one of my intentions. And like I said, you know, as a student with an with invisible impairment with the different challenges that I experienced cognitively, emotionally, socially, and physically. You know, I needed to adapt to a universal environment with different with different legislations, with different approaches, also with a different standard and requirements. And for me personally, I need to get used to everything again. So as a student that functioned well in a, in a formal school who wrote a, a, a formal matric, I needed to, you know, I, I functioned quite well. But as soon as I went to an unfamiliar environment with unfamiliar expectations, it was quite different and affected my functioning abilities on those four levels that I mentioned. And it was extremely difficult. You know, as a student that was nonverbal, I struggled with the communication factor. And as you know, it is one of your survival tools that one uses at university because university is not about the academic performance, but it's also about the social well-being of students. And, you know, and that was for me one of my most difficult aspects was to get used to this social with social side. And therefore I had the support from different service providers, such as the university psychologist who assisted me in communication. And 
you know, and it was extremely difficult to you to get used to the standards. But as soon as I got used to everything off a couple of years, you know, I got used to the routines and the standards of the institution. And it helped me to formulate my identity. And I succeeded. And it just shows that a student that was nonverbal can succeed despite the challenge that he experiences and also the value of support. Well, and I think, you know, considering autism you know, and considering the challenges to be experienced, cognitively, emotionally, as well as physical, you know, um, you know, it is quite important to note how important relate the relationship is in the home environment because as a student that was attached to one parental figure you know it was extremely difficult for me to be able to adapt and to basically to move suddenly out of my home environment and to move into a residence that also favored masculine abilities and, you know, for me personally, I wanted, you know, I wanted to succeed. And, you know, and as a student with a near developmental challenges like autism, you know, it was, it was a concern for my parents. And, and as such, as any environment, you know, you, as a parent, you are afraid of the unexpected. Your typical questions that you might ask is what will happen with my child? Will my child function? Will my child succeed at university? Will my child be able to graduate at the end? And will my child be employed? And for any pen, that was my parents' main concern. And do you know, Daria, do you know what was quite fantastic? is the fact that, you know, that my parents believed in my capabilities. And although it was difficult and although there were different family members as well as different uh, staff that, that tried to pursue it as not to take the university route, you know, I wanted to show, I wanted to show that I can succeed because I believed in my own capabilities and my parents believed in my own capabilities. And therefore, it sounds like quite nice about this ableist as well as this masculine approach that society has towards, you know, students that's different. And therefore, I think that, you know, we need to look at the individual behind the diagnosis before we before we stigmatize. And I think, you know, referring to my personal experiences, I think I did not prove myself. I proved myself. I do not have to prove myself to anyone because I show that, you know, that it's possible if you believe in your own capabilities. Yes. Throughout the years, you will have challenges, but that's normal for the autism spectrum. But the most important thing is 
if you have the necessary support. And that's key in order to succeed. The first thing that's coming to my mind is, do you have advice for parents listening out there as how to support our kids the best? Because you spoke about the wonderful support you had from, especially from your mother in the last podcast we did. Um, what kinds of things did she do to support you and uh, during university and, and help you believe in yourself? And I guess that really was established from everything you talked about in our last podcast. Growing up, she had really established that. She always believed that you were capable. Uh, what, what advice would you have for parents whose children are getting older and, and might be thinking about heading to pursue, whether it's university or whether it's just uh, something different that they haven't done before that they really want to do. Maybe it's getting their first job or, or anything that takes them away from their the comfort of the environment they're used to. I think what's quite important from a parent's perspective is number one, to identify the student's interest. That's quite important because from that, you can basically start to think of different avenues in which the child might, might, might go through, go to. And also, you need also need to think of consider the different the different challenges that the, that this child experience cognitive emotional social and physical and you need to critically analyze it and you need to believe in your child's capabilities and unfortunately um one of the things about all this spectrum is that you know we can't basically provide a blueprint for parents because each individual on the autism spectrum is different and therefore each child on the autism spectrum's capabilities is different. But I believe that the key thing for parents is, the, is that continuous support is vital because you know, depending of, on the people in the environment, depending on the standards of the environment, as well as the expectations and the requirements, you know, the child or the individual rather, excuse me, will, will, will need that support to function. And, you know, and as such, you know, there will be times where the child will experience or the individual experience challenges emotionally and socially and physically in terms of sensory wise. And therefore, it's important to make the support base strong, to make the institution aware that the that that the student is different, but also to my contact with the different support services, the different disability units, and make sure that the, that there are reasonable accommodations to ensure that the individual can succeed. And I wonder, I guess this is really dependent on the individual, but are there things that you would say to be careful about doing so that you're not uh, taking over 
So it sounded to me like you really wanted to prove your independence and you you believed in yourself to do that. And some parents, and, and I'm certainly one of those, but my child just turned 12, so he's still developmentally quite young as well, around five or six-ish. Um, you know, I want to do everything for him and I want to speak for him and I want to do all of these things. That's one thing that I'm going to have, it's going to be a challenge for me to have to let go and let him uh, show who he is and let him self-advocate for himself as opposed to me doing it for him. Is there advice you would have for parents on how that process works? Because it's one thing to say, be supportive, but then some are too supportive, if that makes sense. Maybe they're not, maybe there's no such thing as too supportive, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's quite normal for any parent. And I think it's due to the, to the uncertainty factor. But considering the autism picture, and that's why we refer to it as a near developmental challenge, because as parents, you know your child's best, you know your child's behavior in unfamiliar environments. You know your child's emotional responses best, as well as his different reactions to different situations. And referring to the neurodevelopment, you know, as a as an individual on autism spectrum myself, I my emotional my emotional as a eighteen year old student in a in an unfamiliar environment, you know, although I was I functioned my age as a student in a in matric at the age of eighteen years in school level my emotional challenges in university were you know at the age of 19 depending on the environment so definitely it it is it is normal for parents to have that concern but i yet again you know um that is the brilliance of neuroplasticity where the environment and also the support from the environment will basically accommodate the student to ensure that the student can adapt and function in the university environment. And that is why the brain's development is quite important and the functional abilities of the student on the autism spectrum is brilliant. And like I said, I want to go back to the parent um, as well as the, 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 the difference of the type of diagnosis. You know, each individual on the autism spectrum is totally different. And it will be unfair for me to say what to do because each child's capability is different. And, you know, we will go in different pathways. But I believe that, you know, there is a place for each autistic individual, not only at any form of higher education, but also in the working force. So it's quite important for us to recognize the unique abilities and to identify the interest and to, to let that child or that let that individual you know, go through the process and to identify his needs and go and follow his dream. But like I said, be, be aware of the different challenges that these individuals experience on different avenues and also um, be there to support him all step of the way. There will be times where, in terms of the, the emotional development, where 
the individual feel that you that 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 he needs to be independent, but one must always make sure that you know that that you are there to support when there are times where support is needed. So you've really described um, some very helpful examples in in theory and practice about how to make it more accessible and inclusive and and all of the different aspects. I'm wondering now more personally, if you can describe some of the experiences that you had and um, what accommodations helped you get through your studies and did you have a hard time getting those granted to you? And if, if you have some examples of that, that would be really interesting to hear. Daria, I think, you know, you need to consider also the autism spectrum. And yet again, I want to refer to the different challenges that we experience cognitively, emotionally, socially, and physically. Because, you know, with autism, you know, and referring to the ableist approach, physical disabilities usually are being accommodated due to what people see but what's quite dif difficult for with autism is that the challenges that these individuals experience on the four avenues that i've just mentioned is that it's quite hard to identify the reasonable accommodations for that individual so it was quite difficult for for the institution to accommodate me because you know i was an able-bodied student you know i didn't walk i didn't have a physical impairment i didn't walk with a limp i was i looked <laughs> i looked i looked like a normal neurotypical student but there were certain challenges that I experienced in terms of sensory wise um in a lecture of 300 students, my senses were overwhelmed. I struggled to communicate effectively. And this was the time where I actually started to speak. And therefore, the assistance of a university psychologist is quite important because the university psychologist basically introduced me to the finer aspects of having conversations, you know, how to start a conversation, how to end the conversation, how conversations works. Now, if I can refer to a typical example, she actually referred to communication as a dance between two people. One, you take one step, the other person takes another step. And we needed to break it down for me to understand. And I basically used those techniques to communicate, to form a relationship. And yes, <laughs> as a student that was in a ableist and masculine environment, it was extremely difficult to get acceptance because I looked like an able-bodied student, but my behavior was different. And that is why, that is what made all the difference. And and I think, you know, year, uh, years after, 
after my my actually my first my second and my third year you know th these students started to accept me in residence but also um there's some of the students that attended classes with me because they identified the challenges they experienced and they started to to emphasize and this is what made all the difference and therefore i could function on academic level i had additional time and i also made use of assistive devices like audio record to record my lessons due to the sense of the experience and and in my dissertation that i write for my phd i basically identify these aspects and also much more from a masculine as well as an ableist uh, uh, lens. But I think that what's quite important is that, you know, I had these challenges, but I also had the support with from the institution in different avenues. Remember the campus that I attended was smaller and, you know, yes, there were students, there were a lot of students, but compared to other, to other faculties, it was not as big in terms of population. So I could I could cope with the necessary support. So definitely, you know, um, you know, there were challenges, but there were also a lot of positivity that came out of my experiences. And the reason why I'm sitting here today talking to you as a student who's basically in my final year of my PhD is due to the fact that, you know, these experiences that I experienced made me stronger, not only as an autistic person, not only as a student that was different, but also as a human being. In all, and with these lessons, I want to create an inclusive society and make it accessible for all. And, and when just the example you gave going into a class of 300 people when the sensory experience was so overwhelming. You mentioned that you took audio recordings to listen to later. Would would you literally sit there and record it? Um, or would the teacher provide something separate? If, if there's lots of noise and you just recorded it, and you played it back, you would hear all the noise again, but at least you wouldn't have all the rest of the sensory experience around you. And therefore we need to go back to the diagnosis of autism and also the type of diagnosis that these, that this, that this individual on the autism spectrum have. Now, referring to the, to the, to my type of diagnosis, a student that is receptive my sensory challenges are as such where I experience visual sensory overload whereby I cannot see the faces of students. And in some cases, you know, and that's why each individual on the autism spectrum is unique because in some cases, students on some students on the autism spectrum are have the auditory sensory is, is basically stronger than the visual. Uh, or their visual is stronger than the audio. And therefore, for instance, some students on the spectrum will visually be fine in terms of sensory overload, but they will cut out the sound. 
So in my case, you know, auditory was fine, but visually, my visual spatial sketchpad protected me from the sensory input that I received from my senses. And it didn't affect me as such. Um, in um, It didn't affect me as such the auditory. And also when I played it, it was fine because the visual was exposed. My visual was not, was my visual was not exposed in a private space. But also, um, it also depends on the ethical considerations of the institution because, you know, some uh, staff members were, were quite approachable and some were not. So it also depended. But I think it also has to do with um, uh, being aware of the types of challenges that these individuals experience. And therefore, it's quite important for us, Daria, to involve DPOs and also autistic adults and parents also to come to talk to, um, to, to faculty members as well as the institutions to, to create inclusive and accessible, more accessible society, to transform the, the system and also to make sure that the reasonable accommodations are there to accommodate the student. Because referring to autism, referring to the type of challenges we experience, some autistic individuals, uh, communication skills, the communication as well as the social interaction is one of the foremost challenges that these individuals experience. And therefore, it takes a tremendous effort and, and their self-confidence is affected. And also determination to, to walk, to come to come to someone and to tell them about about the diagnosis that they have, to disclose that they are on the autism spectrum, and to ask. So I think that you know to accommodate the anxiety levels of the individual on the autism spectrum, as well as the social and emotional well-being, is quite important for any formal school environment, any formal higher education environment to accommodate the individual by having the, the assistive devices in place to accommodate the, the student. And what I hear you saying is basically a big capital flashing eye in the DIR model, which is the individual differences and how important it is to not lump everything all together it's really important to look at the unique profile of each person. And I think that education piece is so key because you can have that ableist view that thinks, okay, well, it's more of a preference. Uh, maybe my favorite color is yellow and I want all the classrooms to be yellow. You're not accommodating my preference that education piece really says, this is not about preferences. This is about actual disabilities and, and um, disabling features that prevent my learning experience in the way that everyone else can. It's not a preference of mine to listen to auditory lectures over live lectures. It's a necessity for me to be able to learn you are actually uh, summarizing the 
true value of inclusive education. And, you know, and, you know, education is a right, not a necessity, it's a right. And I think that, you know, if we can make public facilities accessible and all levels of education, you know, it contributes a lot towards the, the working force of the individual and also create to ensure that that person has got a purpose in life. And you can refer it back to socioeconomic circumstances, hey, in terms of an, an employment rate. Uh, you do not want a student with, a, with some sort of impairment or with a different impairment to fall part of the to fall part of the dropout zone, you want to ensure that each individual has got an opportunity to fulfill their own potential and to be able to contribute to society, to be able to have a voice, to be able to make an impact on a higher order level to to join the fight to create an inclusive and accessible society and that is why it's important it all starts with education and and it also starts with how we can accommodate the individual so just thinking about that daria if we can take that into consideration you know, and taking the four pillars that I mentioned earlier, we can we can transform the the world, and we can ensure that the unemployment rate is less amongst neurodiverse individuals. Now, I I'd like to end off with a question that. Um, you know, might sound very ignorant, but I just am curious about your thoughts on it. There's been a lot of talk about the double empathy theory and that self-advocates say they, they may not have problems communicating because autistics communicate with autistics very well. Neurotypicals with neurotypicals, it's when you mix the two that there's the challenge so what are your thoughts on having, and this, this is a whole other bag of a can of worms, <laughs> but uh, if there were institutions, because there are a few in the United States that are specific universities just for people with learning differences. So let's just say, for example, a university that only has autistic people or people with sensory challenges and that way they are in an environment where they can be more relaxed and learn at their own pace and that is supported that's what the whole institution is built around and i have some ideas of how you might answer that but um i'm just curious as to your thoughts because you know you can have both right you can have what you're talking about which is the inclusive environment but some people might just say, I don't want to deal with that. I just want to go to this institution because everybody has the same journey as me 
even though their profiles are different, they understand what I'm going through and it's more um, accessible and safe for me to be here. I'm curious about your thoughts. Well, and I think Daria, um, and that is what's unique about the autism spectrum is that, you know, each individual, I'm talking of from autistic adults perspective, it's quite unique. Our backgrounds are unique. Our upbringing is unique. Our personal experience is unique. Our education levels is unique. Our types of parenting styles that our parents taught us or the kind of circumstances that we grew up are totally different. So I've got a totally different approach towards this and I follow a social ecological approach in terms of this impairment and also autism. You know, I want to tell you that referring to my personal life, I know there's different theories considering that and there's been a lot of discussion and still continuous discussion about different approach, approaches that's used in the education field and also in the intervention field. But Daria, according to my personal experiences, you know, um, from autistic adults' perspective. Now, this is now from your house's point of view. If it wasn't for a parent that, if it wasn't for my mom that continuously exposed me to different environments, I would not be where I am today. I would not be a student sitting here talking to you about the different theories. I would not be a student that's basically in a couple of months time submitting his PhD. You know, I would not be that student. So I think that for me personally, it's all about the type of student, the, 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 the individual, the individual on the autism spectrum. It's all about his experiences and it's all about the child's capabilities or the individual's capabilities. I want to refer to child because it based the Critical aspect at time is basically ECD, early childhood development. Because if the child is diagnosed at the early age, that is where the process starts. And for me personally, education was my, was the reason why I'm sitting here. Education was vital in my development. And yes, um, there were hard times. You know, some people, some parents will believe or some autistic adults will believe that <laughs> that my mom followed a, a, an approach in order to make sure that I function. But you know what? It helped me to be able to function and to succeed. And therefore, you know, it's quite important to, to, to be able to, to identify what works for you as a parent and also what your child's capabilities and if your child can succeed you know and you know and it doesn't matter which institution you know or i'm referring to academic institution that individual goes to it's all about for that individual to function you know we live in a very uh cruel society you know 
where, like I said, ableism is preferred, masculinity is, is, is preferred. And I believe that we are currently, yes, on a stage where, where we, are more, we are more acceptable as society, but unfortunately, you know, um, there are some aspects of society that is not more, that, that's not inclusive enough for individuals on the autism spectrum. And therefore, um, survive the unemployment rate amongst autistic adults is extremely hard due to the different challenges that, that these individuals experience. So I've believed that, you know, you know, in order for autistic adults to function, I believe that, according to my personal point of view, is that we need to adapt towards society and we need to come together to fight for the same for the for creating accessible society. And I saw dramatic changes in the community of practice, as well as the public institutions, where they are becoming more aware. You know, um, public facilities, you know, service providers are becoming more aware about autism. And and if you basically come with a complaint about an inaccessible um, aspect that you might have been confronted with, people will understand. And yes, it takes a lot of education. But for me personally, Doria, it comes down to we need, we need to understand the child, the individual's capabilities. And I believe that if the individual has shown signs of coping, and if that individual has got this desire to function, and if he's got the capabilities, you know, nothing, we mustn't stand in that individual's way. So, and I think that and it's normal for us to basically have a debate regarding this because we are in a field that's very controversial, isn't it? Referring to the disability, referring to the impairment, referring to the refer also referring to you know the different theories that's out there about and also the manners in which we in which we approach autistic adults but i think that you know we need to look at the individual as such and our main purpose as autistic self-advocates as service providers as educators is to ensure that these individuals function and to ensure that these individuals succeed and for them to fulfill their destiny and to ensure that they are members of society and that they are accommodated. That is our main purpose. So I understand, you know, the different approaches that's out there, but our main concern must be that individual and not what's out there. We are working in the field in order to uplift, to educate, to uplift, and to change perceptions. And that it must be our main purpose. So I'll, I'll, so my theory is a little bit different. I would say we need to, depending on the experiences of the individual or of other individuals, our main concern must be that individual that we are that we are that we are aiming to to develop and for them to succeed. And that is what we need to do. Focus on the abilities of the individual. Focus on the individual and not the diagnosis. Forget about the about the different 
things that's out there. You know, forget about the different signs. For me, it's not all about the 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 small things. For me, it's all about making sure that that individual functions and for him not to be part of a thirty-three percent that's unemployed, that's sitting and that's not a member of society. So we, I think, you know, and that is why we've got the gap in the field because everyone is too concerned about the different words that we use, the different signs that we use. It's not about that. It's about that individual that needs to be succeeded, that needs to succeed. And I, and my case study can be one way, you know, if we listen to everyone, if we listen about the small things in society, I would not be a success story. So um, I think that, you know, I summarized it beautifully, but, you know, we need to think about the parent, uplift the parent, uplift the child, and that's what's more important. And that is why they are always important. Focus on the individual and not the diagnosis. Absolutely. And the what you also said is the more stories we have, the more empowering as well, because everybody will find something they can relate with in each story. And we need more people like you out there spreading this word and, and uh, creating this environment where we can all be uplifted. So thank you so much, Emil, for your time. It's always wonderful speaking with you. And I hope you'll be back soon. If listeners have comments, questions, uh, want to put in their two cents about anything that we talked about, um, just go to the comment section at affectautism.com under this podcast. And uh, thank you so much, Emil. Thank you, Daria. It's always an honor to speak to you. And I'm looking forward to walk a path with Affect Autism as well as the hour floor time. Thank you. Yes. And, and I will say the honor was all mine because uh, I have so much to learn from you. So thank you so much. And I can't wait until we're celebrating your PhD. Definitely. I, I can't wait either. I, yippee. <laughs> <Woo -hoo. laughs> okay. Thanks so much. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through playful interactions. If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please see the parents menu at ICDL.com, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, for the virtual floor time consultations for parents. There you can schedule an appointment, look at the virtual DIR home program services, and see the weekly parent support meetings registration. We aim to help you implement the developmental individual differences relationship-based model at home taking into account where your child is developmentally and their individual sensory processing differences within your safe and nurturing relationship to promote and support their developmental potential. This episode of Affect Autism was brought to you by affectautism.com. This is an independent endeavor on my part without any sponsorship. Please consider supporting the podcast and the website for as little as $5 US a month to receive extra bonuses, including floor time videos access, your questions answered on upcoming podcasts, my weekly insights video with my takeaways from each podcast, and more. You can become a member or a star member of Affect Autism at patreon.com slash affectautism.